0: Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. I don't know if anyone's seen um, Craig and Kathy posted uh, on Facebook and they're doing well. I think they're still in Germany or if they moved on from there. You don't seem to know. That's all right. Um, but they've celebrated their large number anniversary <laughs> in Germany and um, having a great time. I did want to uh, begin the sermon, he's already heard this a couple of weeks ago, but just honouring Craig um, for the time spent uh, as interim campus pastor, what a pr- privilege it was for me to be working with him, what a blessing that was for this church and... Um, now that he's gone, I'm like, what am I meant to do? <laughs> Craig's moved on and and, um, and now it's up to me. And now it's up to us to continue the mission and the, the vision of our church. And it's a bit daunting. It's a bit scary. It's a bit like the what the disciples were feeling the, the, the night before Jesus died. And uh, the passage we're going to read tonight comes from the upper room discourse this this uh this conversation and this this dialogue that jesus had with his disciples uh l- the night before he was or the night he was betrayed the night before he died and there's this this looming um uh idea that that jesus is moving on he's he's already shared a couple of times that I'm going on, I'm leaving here, I'm going to die, and, and where I'm going, you can't follow. And so there's this tension building, this, this anxiousness building in the disciples. What are we going to do when Jesus leaves? What are we going to do when our leader's gone? And so, in this this upper room, this upper room discourse, Jesus tells his disciples what they need to know for this next season. He prepares them for his departure. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, we heard from Craig the second half of that, that Jesus being the vine and what it means to remain in him. And it is a bit backwards, but now we're going to be looking at what Jesus said before that, leading up to that, what he says about himself, what he says about uh, his disciples. And uh, five things that Jesus says to prepare his disciples for his departure is five P's alliteration is really helpful to help us remember. They are place, person, presence, power, peace. Place, person, presence, power, peace. So the first one, pace, place. If you were to uh, grab your Bible and open up to John chapter 14, that's what we're reading. and I'll just read bits and pieces and, and tra- we'll tr- kind of travel through this chapter together and also be on screen. The, in John 14, verse 2, Jesus says, In my Father's house there's many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that, uh, sorry, I would, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. And there and where I am, you may be also. Jesus talks about where he's going, so after he's departing, where he's going is to prepare a place. Now, old translations like King James and older translations say uh, prepare a mansion. So often, when when Jesus when when Christians have read this passage, they get this idea that Jesus is going to prepare a room or prepare a, a house for us. And if you've ever seen the the um, Netflix show Good Place, who's who's watched the Good Place? Fascinating um, uh, show. To think about what people think about heaven and hell, worth watching. But one in the first scene, uh, people are brought to their personal mansion that they each get. and It's all tailored, tailor-made to their desires and what they what they want and all this kind of stuff. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He's not going to create a place, uh, a mansion for us, a house, a room. What he what he's saying is. Uh, the word translated is better translated like home or abode. It's, it's, uh, it's a place with God. He's going to prepare a place that will be not so much about the room, but, but who's there. Jesus prepares a place where he will be, a place where we will be with him. He says, I, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. This place that Jesus has in store for his people is not so much about where it is, it's about who it's with. And this place that he's, he shares with his disciples, it gives hope because things are about to get very rocky for the disciples. They're about to see their leader die and then after Jesus dies and rises again and ascends, it, things get a bit crazy uh, in the book of Acts and like well, the lives of the disciples as they go out and live out the mission of God They're persecuted, they're martyred. But they're reminded in this moment by Jesus that their home is not here. Their home is where he is. And all of us have this yearning to belong, yearning to to belong, to have value, to belong and be somewhere, to, to have a home. And it's not so much about a place or a building, we long to belong to someone, to be with someone. And, and that's what Jesus promises. So, so that's why he says, Don't let your hearts be troubled, in verse one. And Jesus tells them he's going to this place and they know the way. Jesus says, You know the way. And Thomas, what a character, asked, How can we know the way? So in verse five, Thomas says to Jesus, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we possibly know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do not know him. So you do know him and have seen him. So Thomas asked Jesus. Jesus has been talking about this great place where people, where we belong, and. And, and Thomas says, well, how do we get there? What do we need to do? How do what, you know, what, what's the secret prayer we can pray what's the, the you know How do we need to live? What kind of standard do we need to live up in order to get there? What do we need to do? What's the way? What can we do to get to this place that you've promised? And Jesus says, you've missed the point. You've missed the point. I'm the way. Jesus is the way to get there. Jesus doesn't show us where to go. He is the way. And the way that Jesus travels, the the, the path that Jesus takes is that he gives his life. So that which separates us with God, our sin, our brokenness, all all the corruption, evil in the world, Jesus pays the price for that so that we can be restored to God. And that path, dying for our sin, is not one we need to, to follow in. We don't follow the path Jesus takes. We follow Jesus. Jesus is the way. Now, what I find really odd is why why did Jesus not stop there? Like, that answers the question. I'm the way. That's it. Great. All right. Why does he go on and say the truth and the life? Well, what's the deal of all this extra information? Well, the truth... It's all. It's all into. It's all connected. All into integrated. The truth is, re- the 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 revealing who God is is He, as if the big question is the being. What's the way to the Father? Way to the place to belong where we we are. Well, Jesus is the truth. He's the true, revealing, of who God is. It comes to Philip's bold question, where he says, "Show us." The Father, Uh, verse 8, Lord, show us the Father and that'll be enough for us. And that's a bold question. If if you've ever read the Old Testament before and, and thought about who is allowed to see God, no one is allowed to see God. No one has had that privilege. And somehow Philip has the audacity to say, well, show us God. And Jesus says, have, have I been with you, verse 9, have I been with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever's seen me, whoever's seen Jesus, has seen the Father. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? So in Jesus is the presence and person of Jesus, of, of the Father, And this is where we get into the murky territory of the Trinity, where there's God the Father, God the Son, and we'll talk about the Holy Spirit soon. But in Jesus, the truth exists. Not just exists, he is the truth. He is the very presence of the Father. Not only that, but he is the life. If the me, he is the way to the presence of God, he's the revelation of who God is, he's also the life that we receive a few weeks ago, we heard from uh, Chip about Jesus, the big claim that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And what, what, he, what he does, he promises that everyone who trusts in him will have life, eternal life. And it's not, it's not that we get the same experience that Lazarus experienced, where Lazarus died and was risen back to his own life, and he actually went on to die again. No, we're given new life. We're actually given Jesus' life that we could live forever. Live forever in the place that God has prepared for us, that Jesus prepared for us. He is the life through which we live. Jesus is the way, He's the truth, He is the life. Now, important. Discussion we need to have is that Jesus is making a very exclusive claim here. He says, no one can come to the Father except through me. It's very black and white. And in a world of religious pluralism, that all these different religions and and ideas and and thinking and people and worldviews, anyone making an exclusive truth claim will find opponents and get opposition who object not necessarily to the religious system, not necessarily to the truth proclaiming, but to the fact that it's exclusive. In general, this is um, a guy, uh, Gary Birch, who's a, a New Testament scholar. He says, in general, our age views all religious systems as offering variations on the same thing. Judaism, Islam, Hinduism, Christianity, Taoism, all religions essentially, he says, point to... So he says people think, essentially point to the, the way to God through principles of belief. So if we believe the right things uh, about God and uh, through life, if we act in a certain way, do certain thing, live a certain way of charity and love, essentially if we do these things, that will lead us uh, to God or to fulfilment, to whatever. But to stand in one of these traditions, Gary says, and affirm that there is something ultimate, something unrepeatable, something unparalleled, Is offensive to any reasoning of our day. Now, it's not to say that other religions don't claim absolute truth, because they do. Muslims would honour their prophet Muhammad above everyone else, but they would, and they would say that he has revealed the way to Allah, the the way to salvation. But they they would never say that he is the way. Similarly. Buddhists would honour Buddha above all their other uh, um, prophets and entities in their religion, and they would say that he has shown the path and taught the path to enlightenment, but they would never say that he is the path. Other religions claim absolute truth, particularly how to find salvation and hope and meaning, and it's through a, a doctrine or a path to follow. Or a particular teaching, but not through a person. Yet, Christianity, that is precisely the truth that we, the, the claim that we have that the way is not a teaching or a doctrine or a thing we need to do. The way is a person. That Jesus is the way. Jesus doesn't teach us uh, the truth, He is the truth. He doesn't represent one avenue to life, He is the life. And this is an exclusive claim that cannot be compromised. Though that's the pressure we keep getting in this world, and the disciples, disciples as they step into this next space after Jesus leaves them, that they all keep being, being, keep being pressured. Of there's other ways. There's other ways we can do it in other means. We can do it. We can get there ourselves, or we can do follow these other teachings and things. And but no, Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. And he wants his disciples to know that. And he wants us to know that. And in those moments that it's not a teaching that we claim is absolute, but a person. A person. And this person is present with us. And that's the next P. P. Jesus' presence. We skip ahead a little bit. Jesus says, If you love me, keep my commands. And uh, uh, verse 16, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives within you and will be in you. So Jesus is going to leave. But he promises to leave them something, to, to send something. The Holy Spirit, that this advocate, this helper. Uh, later on in verse 25, Jesus says, All this I've spoken while still with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, clarifying who that is, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. The purpose of the Spirit is to teach us the truth that Jesus has that Jesus left us. And the greatest act of the Spirit is to teach us and to point us to Jesus. Because the most effective act of the devil is to feed us lies and to draw us away from Jesus. And so the Spirit is working to to lift our eyes to the way, to the truth, to the life, and to keep us from being distracted and keep us from being swayed and keep us from being deceived. But what the the devil is, the lies the devil is trying to feed us. And this spirit that Jesus gave, there's something even more precious. It's Jesus' continued presence on earth. He hasn't left us. He is with us. Verse 18, Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans, but I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Jesus isn't sending this external third-party helper to be with his disciples. He is coming to dwell in his disciples. The Spirit is also one with Jesus, one with the Father. It's Jesus' own presence that we receive that we, when we have the Spirit in us. And this gets, this gets even more uh, exciting because uh, um, in verse 23, Jesus says, uh, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them. And we, we, plural, Jesus and the Father, will come to them and make our home with them. Make our home. It's that same word that was used in verse 2. Home, abode, place, mansion. Although we won't translate it mansion, will we? Jesus. So Jesus goes ahead of the Father. Sorry, sorry, let me start again. Jesus goes ahead of us to the Father to prepare a place for us. And while he's doing that, Jesus and the Father through the Spirit come and prepare and, and, and make their home, their place in us. So while he's got a place prepared for us that that we can look forward to, and that's our home, that's where we belong, Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit are dwelling in us. They have made their home in us, their abode, their, their presence in us. So we're not alone. We're not alone. Jesus has not left us to our own devices to figure it out. We have the Spirit sent from God to help us, to teach us, to point us to Jesus, to be with us. And to give us power to give us power that's the next p give us power verse 12 very truly I tell you whoever believes in me will do the works that I've been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father now what things is Jesus talking about and if you've been following on or reading through John's gospel you realize that these things he's talking about is miracles he's been uh, he's been feeding thousands of people. He's been walking on water. He's been uh, resurrecting the dead, right? Big stuff. And Jesus says, you will do even greater things than these. So is what Jesus say, does that mean we get the ability to do miracles? Well, yes. But what's what's the point of these miracles? Because what's important to, to understand, and we'll just go to a little bit of theology teaching here, is John's theology of miracles throughout his book. Because he doesn't actually call them miracles. He calls them signs. The signs that Jesus does throughout his, his life. And signs are not something you, you, you put and it points to something you go, yes, I'm here, I'm done, that's it. No, signs point to something. There's a purpose to them. And these signs, these signs that Jesus have been doing throughout John's gospel point to his person, to who he is and his purpose, what he's come to do, ultimately expressed and fulfilled, dying on a cross and rising again. So the signs that, that the things that we will do that are even greater are the works and the signs that will point to the person of Jesus and to the purpose of what he has done. And this is not to say that we will have more power than Jesus. But it is saying that the work that we do in the power of the Holy Spirit will bring more glory to God and will point more people to Jesus than during the time when he was around. And if you you were to follow on, keep reading the story and read through the book of Acts and to read through the history of uh, Christianity, history of the church, you know that that's true, that God has been working through his people by his spirit to point people to Jesus and to bring glory to his name. God has equipped his people with power, power to heal. Power to prophesy, power to speak truth, power to care for people, power to express in all kinds of different gifts with the express purpose of pointing people to Jesus and bring glory to him. And often I feel like we we emphasize all those great extravagant gifts um, of the Spirit. And, And we're going to be talking about them in a few weeks' time when we go to 1 Corinthians that really dives in deep there. But recently, I've been challenged to not, not be so concerned about the gifts of the Spirit, but to look at how God is working through the fruit of the Spirit. If you were to read Galatians, the end of Galatians, Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit. What's the, the character, the transformation that happens by the power of the Spirit? It grows in people love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And it's that kind of transformation, the power of the Spirit transforming us, I think does amazing work to bring glory to God. The transformation in the life of a Christian, the life of a follower of Jesus, is a powerful tool powerful act that brings glory to god and jesus wants his disciples to know that they have the presence of the spirit and that spirit gives power but that spirit also brings peace it brings peace which is one of the fruit of the spirit and this is, I think um, Jesus is really intentional with this, because in, in chapter 14, he kind of bookends this chapter with this declaration of peace on his on, to his disciples. Verse one says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. And then at the end, towards the end of the chapter in verse 27, Paul says, peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Don't I don't give it as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. So the disciples are grappling with this question of how do we live in this world once Jesus goes and we're going to be living in a world that hates him and we've got to share him with the world and there's all this Conflict and poverty and anger and anxiety and depression. What? How can we step forward and, and be obedient to Jesus and live out what he's taught us? And Jesus says, I leave you peace. Peace. Now, many uh, of you may know, um, I've had a pretty uh, turbulent few months um end of January. Uh, we were we were on holidays in January. Lovely time. Came home to find uh, a third of our house underwater from a burst water pipe. And so we had to call the insurance in. They ripped up um, all the floorboards and all the carpets and tore down the wall, the internal walls. And we've been displaced from our, from our home. Uh, so that's like one level of anxiety like just looming over us thinking when are we going to be able to get home again? We've got um, uh, my wife has some pretty significant health issues, she's well now but that's still a reality we've got two children with um, different but significant special needs and uh, and, you know leading up and kind of at the moment I've been working towards a change of role and taking on a whole heap more responsibility that's uh, quite uh, daunting and, and, a, and a big step, still pending. So Emily and I have this like resting level anxiety, <laughs> um, kind of so much going on and so much that, that we just don't know what's going to happen and, and, and so many things that could go wrong and have gone wrong and, and how are we going to be able to handle it. And and in, in all of that, what we're convinced of is that we have the peace that Jesus gives. There's not so much about our situation and not so much about whether we're worried or not, but we have peace. Because peace is not the absence of anxiety. Peace is trust in Jesus in that space, in that anxious or depressed or troubled space. we trust in the promises of Jesus, that he is a place for us. We, we're in this space where we're, we're, we're displaced from our home and we can't wait to get back home. But how much more can we wait to get back to the home that Jesus has prepared for us, to be with God forever? That's his promise. We trust in the power of the Holy Spirit. We trust in that we have the presence of God with us, that even though we're not home now, he is with us. Our home is not, about, uh, is not here, but where he is, which is here. We trust in the person of Jesus, that he is what we need. He is the way, the truth, the life. So we have peace that Jesus gives. We're going we're gonna, to, um, to finish the sermon, we're going to celebrate communion together. This one of the fascinating things about this upper room discourse. If you read it alongside the other Gospels, is that this is the same discussion, same space where Jesus, have, you know, talking to his disciples, that he actually uh, instituted communion or the, the um, Lord's Supper of this special meal to celebrate what Jesus has done and the reality of who he is. And that's where Jesus said to his disciples, it's not recorded in John, but it's recorded in every other gospel, that uh, he, he has bread and he breaks it. And he says, this is my body broken for you. And he, he has a cup and he passes around. This is my blood shed for you, for the forgiveness of your sins. And we're going we're gonna to share in communion. We're going to be obedient to what Jesus said of of coming and taking bread and drinking uh, the cup together to remember who he is, that he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life, and that he, he died to pay the price so that we can be with God. He took away what separates us from God and gives us life.